0: Hey, oh, OTC, hey, that's, that's cool. cool. You got a podcast? Well, I didn't, I didn't, know, know, that. I didn't know Oh, that. that's cool. How you do. Welcome, welcome to the inaugural, the first ever, uh, the flagship uh, episode of Oh, That's Cool. That's OTC's very own a uh, 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 very first podcast uh, for OTC by OTC. Uh, I'm your host Jared Durden along with.
1: Uh, I am Andrew Crocker. do you want to tell the people do you want to tell the people what you do what you teach what you how you exist here at OTC?
0: Uh, I myself am a uh, physics instructor.
1: I'm a political science instructor.
0: Uh, so of course we meet uh, at those physics uh, political science conferences. <laughs> yes of course there's very the clear bridges between the two Absolutely. Uh, Andrew and I decided we were going to get together Not only did we want to make a podcast But Andrew and I are both uh, very social people And in, in of course in, in times of, of a pandemic uh, We had a few constraints uh, So once we got the chance to start talking to people uh, It reminded us how much we liked it uh, So what you have here is kind of an, an audio journal As Andrew and I go out and try to seek And make as many friends as possible here at OTC uh, And to do that Uh, We thought we'd be a little bit educational, so we uh, are picking a topic that we don't know about, finding someone that can tell us about that topic. And for this first one, Andrew, uh, uh, you sent me a list, but we picked uh, one that was particularly interesting. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you and
1: I had this conversation first. We were germinating this idea back in February, I think, and that's about a month after the Capitol riots, which happened in January. And so I sent you a big fat list of things that always fascinate me. But one of the things that had interested me was after the Capitol riot, I started looking into past riots, was what happened on January 6th, an insurrection, it's a conversation for another day, but I looked up insurrections in American history, there's been a few, Uh, but there was a successful one, a successful insurrection, an overthrow of an American government at one point in American history. I knew nothing about it, read a little bit about it, and I said to myself, that would be a great topic, and of course, you and I both know the perfect person to talk about it.
0: Which brings us to our guest, Jennifer Bump. So Jennifer, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. I'm so happy to be here with you guys on this inaugural podcast. Is it uh,
0: inaugural? I thought inaugural meant like the
1: first of a year, or it, does it just mean the first? It's
2: just like the first. I okay. Think,
1: right. As I think the inaugural the address. But yeah.
2: <laughs> Yeah, and I'm glad that you said it's going to be slightly educational because that takes the pressure off as well. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, only slightly hey, if educational. If you're not,
1: if you're not remotely charming, just be educational.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> thinking <laughs> is cool. That's our that's thinking our, is cool. Our 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 main uh, uh, mission here, uh, besides thinking and friendship. Yeah. That's. That's what we're all about here at Oh, That's Cool Podcast. Easy to
1: do at OTC. Lots of great thinkers at OTC, lots of great people at OTC, which make Absolutely. it really easy to do both those
0: things. Absolutely. So Jennifer, tell us uh, who you are and your relationship to the college.
2: Well, as you said, my name is Jennifer Bump, and I am a history instructor, and I teach most of my courses at the Richwood Valley campus, which is down between NICSA and OTC. I do have a couple of online classes. Uh, so yeah, I teach history, U.S. history, world history. Uh, I also teach geography, and we've got some uh, virtual reality stuff going on in that class, so that's a lot of fun. And then I also co-teach uh, history and literature of the Holocaust, and so yeah, kind of a wide variety of social science topics.
1: I have been so fortunate to sit in on several classes from several instructors, and hopefully over the course of the coming weeks and months, we'll get a chance to talk to all of them. But maybe one of the most, uh, is enjoyable the wrong word to use for your Holocaust class? Maybe one of the most stirring classes I've sat through was you and your students who were phenomenal in that literature of the Holocaust class that was so interesting
2: yeah it is it's a great class and it's a great way for people uh, to be informed not only about the Holocaust but you know modern genocide and just have real conversations about uh, those events and what led to those events and the context of what happens and I think we're going to talk about that a little bit today with uh, the insurrection that we talk about providing some context for that event too
0: I am interested in this idea of virtual reality being brought into the classroom, which yeah. when I saw Lawnmower Man in whatever, nineties something I did not see this coming necessarily, but I totally get right away as soon as you say that it would make a lot of sense to have Uh, you know, a a, a virtual reality setting where we can look and kind of put ourselves back in the context of that time. Uh, How do you guys use it or have you been using it?
2: So I'm using it in my geography class. And I really like it because here, you know, you have Southwest Missouri students who are coming, you know, into OTC. Many of them have not had the opportunity to travel internationally. And so in geography, when we're talking about these different regions of the world, we can use virtual reality and literally they get to go to Russia and see the landscape and see different buildings. They can uh, go to places in uh, the uh, Caribbean and just all around the world. And it's so great to see these students uh, with the little virtual reality glasses, right, up looking at places, turning around. And for me, it was really awesome because, you know, several of the students would take their virtual reality glasses off and be like, I want to go to Russia now. That's so cool. Right. And just... Uh, being able to experience something that maybe otherwise they wouldn't have gotten to. So that's been, it's been a real great uh, tool in geography well, for I sure. I'm
1: too enmeshed in politics to think fondly of Russia all the time. But, <laughs> right. but whenever you div- divorce yourself from yeah. that political conversation, you just yeah. focus on the architecture yes. and the crazy. I mean, they have every climate absolutely every culture you could ask for in a yeah. country that big yeah um, is it moscow what part of the russia do they get well, to wander it, around with,
2: in? well all different parts because mm. as you mentioned russia is so vast that ge- the geography is vast and so one of the things that really stood out to my students uh was that we looked at a russian volcano and they're like there are volcanoes in russia yeah. and like it just you know totally blew their minds so yeah there are volcanoes in russia so you should I, take geography I
1: I imagine the technology does not exist in a certain part of the world, but a country that blows my mind, maybe the prettiest country on earth is Afghanistan. If you ever get Mm. a chance to look at just photos of landscapes in Afghanistan, aside from like how completely different their tribal cultures are from ours, I can't, it's such a gorgeous country Mm -hmm. that I don't think any American... I don't know how safe it would yeah. be to visit, but I right. think that'd be a fantastic place to walk around in. Yeah.
2: And there are parts when we get to that uh, region of the world that uh, sometimes because of uh, certainly the situation with war and politics, uh, virtual reality has not, we don't have as much opportunity with virtual reality, but there was some, like I was able to show students parts of uh, Afghanistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and it, it's really a powerful powerful moment to be able to see these regions that maybe you've only seen on CNN on the news and it's war torn so yeah uh it's it's really cool
1: makes it a lot easier I think to understand and remember
2: step outside yourself yeah contextualize what's happening you know Mm -hmm. yeah very cool
0: so getting to know you we, we, we this 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 segment of the podcast we've we've got a few questions sure they're the kind of questions that uh, uh you might take a uh, uh, a personality quiz online with that kind of thing right so yes. we're not going to pick your, your 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 harry potter house or anything like that but uh just to kind of get to know you better <laughs> it's gryffindor it's gryffindor cuz i didn't want to assume and you're know, right. going test really tell right so uh uh that
1: feels like a round peg in a square hole. You and Gryffindor. I'm,
2: I took the quiz. That's what they said. Who am I to challenge the Sorting Hat? Uh,
1: you have Hufflepuff. Is it Hufflepuff? <laughs> yeah. I should have I should have read up more before I wandered into that one. <laughs>
0: yeah. Who is your hero?
2: Oh boy. Um, who is my hero? I, and it oh.
0: doesn't have to be only this is my hero. Okay. Give us someone I have that a, I have a lot of heroes. You see us here. Give us give us give us on this podcast. Who would you Who would you want us to know about and why?
2: Oh, man, um, there's this lady in history, her name is Dorothea Dix, and I find her to be just amazing, because she uh, she's alive in the 1800s, which, of course, is a time when women did not have a lot of power in any sort of way. Uh, certainly, they weren't voting yet, obviously, uh, for all intents and purposes, you know, controlled by men, can't really own property unless they're uh, widowed and have no male heirs and all that kind of stuff, right? And so Dorothea Dix is this uh, single uh, former school teacher, and she takes it upon herself to reform the prison system. Uh, Of
1: America?
2: uh, She starts in Massachusetts, and then she spreads out Hmm. to America, and then she goes to Europe and talks to the Pope. Uh, has an audience with the Pope because what she found is she went into these uh, prisons and, uh, of course, we don't have a great, at that time, handle on mental illness, right? And so there were people who, you know, they they just called them crazy and they were literally, like, chained uh in rooms without heat and without clothing, and she's like, people should not be treated that way. We need to change this. So she snuck into all the prisons. I shouldn't say snuck in. She she went into all the prisons in Massachusetts under false pretenses. She said she was there to teach the inmates the Bible, which was a big part of the social reform movement at the time, Uh, writes a report, presents it to the massachusetts legislature and then reform starts to take place and when she went to the vatican to talk to the pope he's like yeah we need to change this let's let's put an area where we can take care of these people uh who are dealing of course they again don't call it mental illness but like who are dealing with that she's going to go on and be like a nurse during the civil war and all that kind of stuff but she like i am seriously impressed by her (laughs) like in her gumption right to just be like this needs fixed. That Incredible. is real. Tell right. us that name again. Dorothea Dix, D-I-X, uh, is her last name, and she's she's pretty amazing.
0: I will put her on the hero list. Yeah,
2: she should be.
1: Dorothea, D- and she's a Bay Stater. She's a Massachusetts yeah. person.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm suddenly doubting myself. Massachusetts or Maryland, but I'm pretty sure it's Massachusetts. Sure, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We, uh, we have, at the end of every podcast, we have a fact-checking segment for <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> That's <is> true. <laughs> Jennifer Bump was wrong. <laughs> That's right. And we do have, like, we, we have theme music for that, too. Oh, it's good. very, like, Price so, like, uh, is dun, Right.
0: Dun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, have you ever seen uh, Press Your Luck?
2: Yeah. Oh, look. No oh, yeah. whammy. No whammy. No yes, whammy. Stop. Actually, there's a
0: graphic and everything. Oh, that's awesome. Comes up.
2: Do you think in like how many people know what Press Your Luck is? Is that coming back? Oh, I don't know. Is they it know
1: it? the no. Uh, surely it's back. They have game. They have entire channels for game shows. I there's so. no chance they're not milking that cow As for all its worth. Instructor
2: it though, it
0: no longer matters to me if people get the references oh. I'm using. Like I pretty much use the same material every yeah. semester, yeah. and most of my references. Uh, Our pre-90s. Yeah, Yeah, right. Which, if you didn't know, uh, 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 younger students now refer to as the late 1900s.
2: (laughs) Makes me feel so old. I know. Uh,
0: That's right. Yeah, I uh, still
1: refer to when I talk about uh, the states coming in my PLS class, I, I talk about my states coming together to form a national government. I still talk about them coming together and forming like Voltron. (laughs) <laughs> and I don't know if that was, I first started teaching in 2007, and I don't know if it was relevant then, but now I might as well be speaking Greek halfway through my lecture. They have no clue what I'm talking One about.
0: One of my favorites ever is whenever we talk about um, uh, uh, opposite charges interacting, right, in, in, in electromagnetism, when we say, well, opposites attract. And I always say, uh, as you know from Paula Abdul's Forever <laughs> Your Girl thesis, <laughs> phew, deaf ears. Yeah.
1: There are Wasn't so many more modern examples Idol? of that. Yes. <laughs> There's so many more modern examples of it. Why Paulo Abdul?
2: Why not Paulo Abdul? That uh, have you
1: seen you the video?
0: In, I did. I did see the video. <laughs> yeah. Groundbreaking. That's right. This is on the heels of, of who framed Roger Rabbit, but I mean, the the mixture, the idea that cartoons and humans interacting, mind-blowing. Yeah. Right, it was like a, like in in Transformers when the the first time you heard someone cuss on a cartoon, and yeah, sure, or Take yeah. on Me, that's right.
2: That is an amazing. Yes, music. maybe we can link to some of these amazing music videos, sure. videos at the bottom <laughs> of the podcast. Hold on, Let's everybody,
1: break. pause. Music break. I don't think we have the money for that, actually.
0: <laughs> so, what uh, <laughs> motivates you to work hard?
2: Um. Well. I mean, it sounds it sounds like such a pat answer, but it is it's the students, right? Um, because there is nothing that gives me greater joy in this life than seeing a student connect with history in some way. And so, man, I work hard to make that happen, right? Um, trying to bring history to life because, I mean, you guys, I'm sure you hear this in your classes too, but certainly history. I know that my math people out there, communications people here, like, oh, I hate this class. Like, I hate history or I hate speech. I hate physics, right? Like, they come into it with this preconceived notion that they're just going to hate it because maybe they had a bad experience in the past, right? They didn't weren't able to connect with that material. And so um, I want them to connect uh, with history and just see how it does actually have bearing on their lives today, right, and make the connections for uh, why it's important. And, you you know, a lot of people say, well, because if you don't learn history, you know, history will repeat itself that's not like really true like uh, history doesn't repeat uh, but there's this famous saying that it sure does rhyme yes I love that phrase (laughs)
1: Uh, history doesn't repeat history doesn't always repeat itself but it often rhymes
2: (laughs) so it's important to you know understand how we can put you know past events into context and then you know kind of look around and see what we can do with what we're living through so yeah I just love it so much fun and I mean not to poo-poo on your guys' top, you know, your subjects that you teach, but I think that history is like the... Like, I can't imagine anyone wanting to do anything but history all day. It's like just the funnest thing, hmm. right? I mean, it's got drama, it's got romance, it's got comedy. I mean, it's absurd, and then it's logical, and it's just... It's the best time.
1: Absurd's a good way of putting it, and I'll answer with my own quote. I don't know who to attribute it to, but they... Uh, reality... Is often more what is it, reality can be crazier than fiction oh, because yeah. it doesn't need to be believable.
2: No, I mean, I I keep saying I don't know why people want to watch a movie about like Abraham Lincoln slaying vampires or oh, whatever. come
1: that, on now! Because
2: like Abraham Lincoln's real life was way more interesting. <laughs> there doesn't vampires do not need to be involved, right? So
1: I'm actually watching a superhero show right now called uh, Invincible, and one of the characters is an immortal character basically an immortal Superman mm-hmm. and uh, he has lived throughout the ages and at one point you see him at all the different points in life and he was in fact Abe Lincoln getting killed by John Wilkes oh Booth and came back later so that I, seems inaccurate you don't think that okay <laughs> <laughs> I, would, that, I brought you on for a fact check on that <laughs>
0: yeah. so yeah. Uh, 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 I think the penultimate am I saying that right question mm-hmm.
1: does uh, that mean second to last penultimate it? Were the ultimate.
2: I think penultimate, second to last. So now yeah. you have to ask me two more questions. <laughs> oh, I am using it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what a bunch of word nerds yeah. right here, right? It, it shout might shout out it the might word the
0: Second to last, though. Oh no, it's not. Wow, sure. Well, sure. How do you say third to last? Uh, trip, trip, tertiary, toward? Toward? <laughs> tertiary <laughs> ultimate. So my favorite question, and I think <laughs> I think really this is uh, this really opens the door to understanding someone as as a human mm, and their experience. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. In a battle to the death. Oh, yes. Mm. Who would win between mm-hmm. Gumby and mm-hmm. Mr. Ed? And more importantly, why?
2: That is, I mean, this gets to the heart of the matter, I'm doesn't putting it? Put you on <laughs> the spot. Right? I mean, I'm going to have to. This is on the record. This is recorded. Search my soul a little bit. Um, I believe that I'm going to have to go with Mr. Ed on this. And why? Well, whenever you have a talking horse. I think that we have to assume some superior intelligence, right? Uh, and if he can talk, if he can talk, what other kind of physical strengths might he have that we're not completely aware of? So he's a smart, smart. How much Mr. Red have you
1: seen? Because I believe he only has the power of a horse.
2: No, uh, he surfed,
0: uh, mm-hmm. which to me, oh, he, that's that's dexterity. That's, that's a skill set yeah. for a horse, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Right. So I think, you know.
1: Boy, you weren't kidding on the references. Mm.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I also spend a lot of time with my grandparents Oh sure I can tell you about Murder She Wrote Oh yeah You know I I can go quite out of my own wheelhouse I just don't know how talking as a horse gives you an advantage Well
2: I think because it gives you the ability to reason Hmm. And I think that ultimately uh, He's going to be able to like reason himself out of a fight to the death here with Gumby I mean Gumby certainly has some kind of indestructibility Right I mean that's his thing But in the end I just think Mr. Ed has it.
0: This tells see. This is why I like this. This tells me a lot about her. And notice, like almost uh, uh, automatically, you had a strong response. I did. It did. Yeah. You it, it had elicited your own a very opinion strong opinion yeah. on yeah. that and your own reasoning. Yeah. And I think it's. I, I sometimes ask that. I used to ask that question as icebreakers, and sometimes still do with students. And you just you you get such a wide variety of answers. Mm-hmm. And people get really serious about it yeah. yes in I've those cases i do have to show him youtube clips so they know who it is but. sure <laughs> sure i
1: just i have trouble gumby is indestructible probably and he can stretch probably infinitely yeah uh, how does mr ed protect against a uh, strangle to the horse neck i don't know what the solution he's very fast. is he's a we horse we need a whole
0: other podcast
2: we, sure. <laughs> we yeah.
1: do uh where char- fictional characters <laughs> do war against each other <laughs> or real historical characters i'd like to see uh you know, Mr. Ed, take on uh, Dorothea Dix. No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't doubt a woman that won an audience with the Pope on prison <laughs> That's reform. That's
2: right.
0: All right. So uh, what brought us here today? Well, what, what, why we brought you here today specifically is because we have this question uh, 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 of a historical context. So... Uh, There was an insurrection in Virginia?
2: Well, actually, North Carolina. And that's, yeah. uh, So it's going to be in Wilmington, North Carolina in 1898. So we're talking about the insurrection of a city government here. Uh, And what happens is you have the election day, um, and then the insurrection actually, or the coup is going to take place on the following day. And so I thought what I'd do is just kind of give you a brief like summary of what happened that day and then maybe provide a little bit of context for why that event occurred, because I think that that really informs that day more than just the events of that day. Uh, And so uh, essentially on November 10th, uh, 1898, there's going to be a bunch of white supremacists uh, who overthrow the city government uh, because they don't like who's in charge. Uh, There are, uh, they're going to force the resignation of the mayor and he is a white, uh, Republican, uh, they're going to force the resignation of eight aldermen, which is like a fancy way of saying city council. Basically, uh, three of them were black, so they did have three black elected aldermen in Wilmington, and then there were five white. and They're called fusionists, and we're going to talk about fusionists here in just a little bit. Andrew, I think this is going to be right up your alley because it's a it's a political party. Sort of. Mm. It's a joining of a political party. And then they also forced the resignation resignation of the chief of police because he was a white fusionist. Uh, They're going to burn down an African-American newspaper. They kill at least 60 uh, black townspeople. They expel prominent black townspeople from Wilmington, literally like walk them out of town or to the train station. Uh, And it was all done in broad daylight. Uh, None of the conspirators were ever brought uh, to trial. They weren't even prosecuted. And I think that this is a a pretty telling uh, fact of the aftermath. Prior to this event, uh, there were about 125,000 registered black voters in North Carolina. Uh, By 1902, there were only 6,000. So uh, one of the outcomes of this event are that white supremacists are going to become in control of the government and make it hard in North Carolina. They're going to, of course, put all these voter uh, restrictions on black people and make it harder for them to participate in democracy. Uh, And so that's the basic event. That last part
1: sounds all too familiar for residents of Springfield.
2: Oh, so we're going to certainly tie what happened uh, here in 1898 to some events that occurred in Springfield in 1906, because there are some, certainly some similar themes, unfortunately, uh, between this event. So uh, a little bit of background uh, about Wilmington. Uh, Wilmington, prior to the coup, was a majority black city. There was about 20,000 residents, uh, about 55% of the residents were black. Uh, At one point in time, it was the highest proportion of African-Americans in any large city in the South. Uh, And so uh, because of that, uh, the black citizens felt, um, I don't want to say free, but uh, certainly they felt like they could hold their own uh, cultural celebrations. One thing that they did in public was they would celebrate Emancipation Day. Of course, this is a throwback to the Emancipation Proclamation, so this was a big festival uh, in January. If you had to guess how the white citizens of Wilmington felt about Emancipation Day, what would you guess?
1: Well, North Carolina's south of the Mason-Dixon line. So I thought they would have not been. They there. did not like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that
2: is that yeah. is correct. So and this is happening in public, right? Uh, and it, for white citizens, it was just a reminder of what they had lost during the Civil War, right? Uh, they also celebrated Memorial Day. Uh, the black citizens uh, celebrated Memorial Day. Uh, which, of course, was started after the Civil War to honor men who had died. And I don't know if you guys knew this because I didn't. Um, white citizens in the South did not celebrate Memorial Day. They had a separate Confederate Memorial Day, and I had no idea that that existed. And no in kidding. fact, still exists. I did uh, not know that. I did not know that. There are three states— Uh, that currently still have it as a holiday on their calendar in the South. And so, like, banks and everything are closed on Confederate Memorial Day. I had no idea. I'm from Kansas, so I'm a northerner.
1: That is fascinating.
2: Right, and had no idea. I had no idea that that was still something that happened. Uh, And so, of course, here, again, you're going to have white citizens not liking the fact that you have the black citizens celebrating Memorial Day. Uh, And they also had uh, this uh, tradition called John Canoe, which was something that was only happening in North Carolina. It was a tradition down in the Caribbean, but it came over from West Africa. Uh, and they would dress up in traditional like African clothing and have a day of celebration. Uh, but this was done on Christmas Day, and so it was like very public. And again, like white citizens of Wilmington didn't like it. So you have these three very kind of public events where uh, black people are celebrating their traditions in a very public way, and the white citizens are just... Not very happy about it. Hmm. So that's kind of the context for what's going on in Wilmington, a brief context. Uh, but politics, uh, Andrew, this is going to be you, the, your, yes. your wheelhouse, uh, was really interesting at the time uh, because um, certainly the at the time, you know, because of the Civil War and Abraham Lincoln freeing the slaves, most African Americans were Republican. And so you had a lot of white Democrats who were working to disenfranchise in some way, shape, or form African Americans. They were uncomfortable, of course, with the 15th Amendment that gave uh, African American men uh, the right to vote. Uh, And so um, what they had done pretty early on is taken away one way they could disenfranchise uh, the black vote was by eliminating the popular election of county commissioners. So counties did not elect their own county commissioners. It was a position that was appointed by like the state legislature. And so as long as the Democrats held on to the state legislature, they could make sure that counties that like where Wilmington was, black people would not be ruling in that area, right? So they took that away. But what's gonna happen, have you guys heard of the Industrial Revolution? I've heard of that. Yeah, I that's a thing. So, yes. Kind of important. It's the entire reason that we have the ability to do this podcast, right? Uh, and so, with the Industrial Revolution, um, farmers in the United States kind of felt like no one cared about them anymore, that it was all about industry and they were le- losing prestige and all of this. And so, they're going to form a political party. Do you know which one that is, Crocker?
1: Um, no.
2: Yes, you do. It's the populists. I was that's a say that's farm a, to table.
1: The populists?
2: Yeah. The populists, they're going to uh, represent southern and western farmers. Uh, they're going to, in um, the 1896 presidential election, hang all of their hopes on William Jennings Bryan, who's a Democrat. Uh, but So the populists were like pro-farmers, right? And so uh, you have this whole movement that everyone's like, we're mad at industrialization, so we're mad at industry, we're mad at railroads, we're mad at the banks, right? And what happens is that the Democrats, who had traditionally had quite a few farmers, begin to alienate them because they come out as, like, pro-railroad, pro-bank. And those are the things that, like, the populists... Line up with industry. Yes. Mm. And so there's a real uh, issue. So what ends up happening is that there are going to be these people who are populists who align themselves with Republicans... So that they can get their interests of like anti-bank, anti-railroad stuff. And who are Republicans in the South? Well, we've got some black voters. And so the alignment of these populists, these white populists, and these black Republicans become known as fusionists. Interesting, sure. Yeah. And what's remarkable is that uh, the fusionists, it's its very unique, right? It's the only group during this time in history where you actually have like a multiracial like political movement working for the same goals, right? It just was not happening because of racism, right? Uh, and so these fusionists are actually able to put um, People into power in North Carolina. Uh, they successfully uh, are going to elect um, a black Republican to Congress in 1896. His name was George Henry White. Several black politicians to the state assembly, state senate, and then the next year, Wilmington have several black aldermen who eventually, during this coup, will be unseated. A Republican mayor, mayor black jailer, a, a black coroner, uh, and a a bunch of other city positions, right? And so all of the sudden, uh, we even have we see a Wilmington policeman who are black. Uh, it is important to note that the police chief, who was white, uh, but was a fusionist, told the ten city police officers who were black never to arrest a white man, uh, and that had more to do with their safety than anything else. Yeah, like sure. just don't don't arrest a white man.
1: I imagine almost everything you're mentioning is historic like Mm -hmm. the first ever for almost everything you just listed
2: yeah i mean during during the era of reconstruction uh there's going to be a um i think a senator from louisiana maybe Mm. that's elected who is black um but it yeah it's pretty it's it's unique to this group is certainly unique to the time period for sure so yeah so i mean some interesting things going on and so Even though there are some black men who have been elected to, like, the alderman position, the coroner, that kind of stuff, uh, what starts to happen is that Democrats start to talk about how Wilmington's being dominated by black people, right? And that was unacceptable to them. And so this is what's going to be what starts – I don't want to say starts because there was already – anger Mm -hmm. right in flames in Uh, flames right we had all those very public celebrations taking place and now uh, to the white citizen white democrat it just looks like you know their way of life is being completely destroyed and so uh the press has a role the press has a role in this uh as well Uh, there was a black owned newspaper called the daily record and it was ran by uh, Alex and Frank Manley. Uh, they were two uh, light-skinned uh, brothers. So um, they were very, very fair-skinned. And this is something that actually here in the last five years, there's been movies and documentaries about uh, uh, black people who are light-skinned, uh, certainly at this era due to uh, white fathers and black mothers uh, and that really is the issue of rape, but having uh, those children who could, quote, unquote, pass as white people and whether or not they should pass as white people. And that's a that's actually an area of study that's being uh, conducted right now, uh, because it's an entirely interesting part of the African-American experience and what they experienced uh, in that era.
1: I'm sorry, they're studying what exactly?
2: Uh, how you have these uh, light-skinned uh, black people uh, who were so light-skinned could pass as white people some of them you know were proud black citizens um, and uh, others tried to like pass as white so they could get into schools but then the guilt associated with that like this denial of their heritage mm, sure and so there's been there's a study you know there are people looking at that because that that's a complicated part of the african-american story too essentially many minority uh, oh um, absolutely my
1: uh, brother-in-law is uh is biracial he's half latino yep and uh his he uh has more olive skin Mm -hmm. and he straight up identifies as latino as a person of color but his brother same parents Mm -hmm. has very light skin and identifies as caucasian it is very i don't think there's enough research into biracial Uh, In history and biracial and of course uh, our culture.
2: Yeah I think that that's I think that that's going to be a field of course where we just continue to see more research and more study because it deserves it Mm -hmm. right I mean that is an important part of our heritage as Americans and Mm -hmm. something uh, that deserves to be looked at certainly so so you have this newspaper uh, that's ran by these uh, two men Alex and Frank Manley and Here's the thing where it gets interesting, in my opinion, right? Um, He, uh, I think it's Alex Manley, is going to openly challenge the white power structure. And he does this by pointing out the fact that there are black voters that outnumber white voters in, in Wilmington. And boy, when you put that in paper, right, then all of a sudden that becomes a more tense situation. Like everyone knew that that was the case, but what once it's been written down, yeah. then you have to deal with it, right? Uh, and then in uh, 1897, he writes this editorial where he basically calls out these black pastors who in another paper uh, had said, uh, we agree with... Uh, the whites in our community that if a black man is accused of raping a white woman he should just be put in jail. And their motivation was that they were trying to stop lynching because what was happening black men were basically being grabbed off the street and lynched. Uh, and so they thought well if we can say no let's put them in jail they can stop stop this the problem of lynching. And Manley just calls that out. He's like that's a bad policy and I'll tell you why. One because it denies the fact that black men and white women have consensual sex. And that was a big no-no, right? Of course. Of course, right? And he said, listen, if you're going to call out this issue of rape, right, then why aren't you saying that white men who rape black women should be put in prison? No one's calling them out, and we all know that's been happening for a long time. And this lights the whole thing on fire, right? Because this is and has been the big issue, right? Black men raping white women. That's the, that's the monster under the bed. That's the thing that scares you in the dark at this time, right? So for a
0: little bit of, of framing on this, yes. where are those conversations taking place, or where, where is that happening that makes it public?
2: So, or how
0: does that look, right? So, coming from from our day and age, right? Right. Uh, how th- things are, are are sent out and, and shared is is really obvious, right? Right. We, we could post anything on, on the internet, and there's no right. right. How is that taking place? How is how is information traveling in that time period?
2: It's newspapers, newspapers, circulars, right, uh, pamphlets, that kind of thing, and uh, boy, a lot of editorials. Right, people write a lot of editorials uh, in newspapers, and that's where this took place, and it got widely circulated. Other newspapers pick up uh, this story, and of course, there's you know there's things that we all know, right? That hasn't hasn't been written down, right? And so certainly, like there was this idea that of course black men who, if given the opportunity, will rape white women. Like, that was just because they, as we know from primary sources, were viewed, unfortunately, of course, as savages, barbaric, and that was their character, right? Uh, And so Manly calls that out, and that's radical because you have to think we're like 70 years before Loving versus Virginia, which says, yes, black men and women can have relationships and not go to jail for it right? Uh, and so that was a bold statement. And so this is, like I said, this has been kind of a huge, it, it was the boogeyman, right? And, and so here's some so other examples for you. Um, in 1915, uh, there, the movie Birth of a Nation, have you heard of that film?
1: With, um, uh, yes, I have.
2: Right. It is, uh, it was basically to celebrate the KKK, Klansman. Uh, it was the first movie ever shown at the White House. And a major theme of that is that a black man is sexually aggressive towards a white woman. And this is what year? That's 1915. So if we come forward a little bit in history. Uh, 1921, uh, the Tulsa Race Massacre, which has only recently kind of been making uh, the news. You might have seen some things about that. I was
0: introduced to that uh, by the series Watchmen. Oh, okay. And they they actually they opened the series with it and uh, I, I didn't know that and went, and went back and did a little mm-hmm. bit of research. Uh, I have to admit at this point, history is not my strong suit. Yeah. And it, uh, I didn't gain appreciation for it until I was much older. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and now it's like uh, just as much of it as I can get. Yeah. So a lot of these times I know Andrew's going to go, oh, yeah, and I'm just sitting <laughs> quietly because well, I, d- I didn't know that. Yeah, the, best I think thing that about,
1: the best thing about history is the uh, oiled paintings and the very <laughs> static, the very static look of uh, what we typically associate with historical figures. These were living, breathing souls with their own uh, skeletons, with their own thought process, their
2: own logic.
0: Seeing black and white photos in color.
2: Is amazing, yeah.
0: Just as much as just eye-opening about how much we can disassociate ourselves with time. Yeah. Uh, it, really, in a larger picture, not much has yeah. passed.
2: Well, and I think that you're in good company because I think that most people don't actually start to care about history until they have a little bit of their own. Sure, sure. Right? And then what all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wait. You know, until you're old enough to be like, oh, I remember when I was seven. Oh. Right? And you start to think back about those times and yeah. your parents and all that kind when of stuff. When your
0: memory can work in
1: decades. Yeah. yeah. Right. You mm. know, when you were
2: alive in the. Was it late 1900s? I'll say, t-
1: referencing my own mother, whose father served in World War One. Yeah. My mother, you know, is a little bit of a World War One buff. Yeah. Because yeah, for that exact reason that you uh, said.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, you get interested because of mm-hmm. the experiences of your family. So, yeah. So uh, Tulsa, that whole the race riot that it's not a race riot. It was a massacre there. Uh, started because of rumors that a a young black man had assaulted a white woman so again we see that theme uh have you heard of emmett till yeah wolf
0: whistle so emmett till
2: yeah like uh he supposedly wolf whistles at a white woman and he is going to be lynched as a result of that Um, and we can actually this is where we connect it to springfield history because in 1906 uh, two black men were lynched because uh, two young people had claimed that they had attacked them and raped the girl. Uh, this event never took place, right? But they, their boss, who was white, vouched for them, said no, they were working at this time, and then they were put in the Springfield Jail for their own protection, quote-unquote, and then a mob shows up and lynches them. So, again, this idea of black men raping or assaulting white women is for much of our history has meant instant death or lynching for these uh, black men. So for him, so for, you can see how charged this is for Manly to suggest that black men and white women can have consensual relationships. Like this, I mean, it was the biggest heresy, blasphemy, sin of all time. And so, uh, and he was right, conversely, he was right to call out uh, white men who raped black women because like during the era of slavery, um, of course, rape was not ever reported by female slaves, uh, but if, uh, like, if a worker raped his, ma- uh, his master's uh, female slave, he wasn't guilty of rape. He was guilty of trespassing on the master's property. Hmm. Wow. So let that sink in. Like, it's just disgusting, right? And so Manly calls this out, and it's, I mean, it's on after that, Right. Uh, The press is going to report it. Black people are, like, they're taking control of Wilmington. Look at this guy who's advocating for consensual sexual relations. And they're not our social equals and all of that. And then we have the coup. So that's the, I mean, that's what led up to that event now
1: what the way you described it earlier was that it forced people to step down like they weren't stringing they weren't putting these guys up on rails and running them out of town
2: uh they did run absolutely uh but in an attempt to make it look legal sure right (laughs) Uh, what they're going to do is like they'll uh, ask for uh, the mayor the police chief the aldermen, all to come to like the city office which was overran with these white supremacist uh, insurrectionists Uh, because by that point in time uh, by the point that that happened uh, they had burned down this newspaper where Alex Manley Uh, had published this newspaper they burned that down later they claimed that was an accident but that's hard to claim that it's an accident when they like took a picture in front of it and they're like pointing at it you Uh, know like doesn't seem so much like an accident when you're posing um but they forced them to come to the city offices and Uh. then what they did was like all right you're going to resign and the rest of you are going to vote for joe who was a white supremacist and we're going to put him in office so they made them quit one by one so that they could vote Mm right for the their replacement essentially who and there was only one option and it was
1: yeah yeah sure yeah that brings us back to what some of those black pastors had said yeah was that maybe it's best just to take the l on this one take Hmm. the loss because the alternative could be much more brutal
2: yeah well and i think that we have to understand the complexity of this issue and what African Americans were actually up against like this was the system Uh, they faced being lynched uh, or trying to be in power and ran out of town right and obviously being ran out of town is a superior notion to being lynched but it was complicated like they're trying to navigate politics where no one wanted them to have a voice right Uh, so yeah it was a it was awful.
1: So, guy who doesn't know anything about this question. Yep. Um, I assume this coup mm-hmm. held. There yeah. was no. I don't even know how you go about challenging a coup in court. Well, I it assume there's no court ruling where they're like, this coup is unconstitutional. Is and there a separate coup court? A <laughs> coup court? <laughs> no,
2: <laughs> no, there is not. Well, so I mean, you know this what this followed a day of violence yeah. right um again uh up to 60 conservatively we say 60 uh, black people were killed but like black citizens in wilmington fled like they had uh, they hid in cemeteries they hid out in the forests because they didn't want to be killed because you had these white supremacists known as the red shirts and just other community members who literally like jumped on city trolleys with guns and rode through an Neighborhoods and just shot indiscriminately at people. Uh, And so, like, you have all of that violence. And so they went out and they hid. uh, And then after this, yeah, the coup holds, right? And so you have black citizens who now, with these people in power who had enacted this coup, they don't feel safe. Why would you stay in Wilmington when, like, black lawyers, powerful black men had been, like, taken out on a rail, basically, right? And so uh, the population, the black population of Wilmington went down by like a thousand uh, in just the next few months. Like people were getting out.
0: So here's our connection, right, to Springfield historically. In terms of Mm -hmm. where's our relationship there in our history?
2: Well, certainly after the event in 1906 as well uh, that occurred here, the lynching of the two black men, you also see an exodus of the black community uh, out of Springfield because of not feeling safe here, right? Like, that also uh, happened here, yeah.
1: Is there, <coughs> putting you on the spot here, is there is there a silver lining to the Wilmington atrocity?
2: Um, yes and no. Mm. No in the immediate aftermath. Like, a bunch of bad things happen. Like I told you, they're going to disenfranchise Black people. We had 125,000 registered voters and North Car- Black voters in North Carolina down to 6,000 after this event. We're taking the vote away from Black people, and that's an atrocity. Uh, I think that the silver lining is that we're talking about it and uh, giving voice to this event and to the people, you know, who lost their lives. Uh, in that event, and just to this history, right? When we're talking about the struggle of African Americans uh, in in our history, like this is a part of, part of the story. Like you had the fusionists who were trying to have uh, a government that was multiracial. It wasn't completely comfortable, right? Uh, in the sense that neither side, neither the white populists or the black Republicans really trusted each other, but they were making it work, right, at the time. Uh, And so I think it's important to talk about that history right one so that we know hey this happened It was a pretty big event Um, an important event Um, and that we can See See the struggle right and it can maybe inform our understanding uh, Of modern current current day events. So I think that's the silver lining. We're talking about it and that's important
0: One last question Is there anything you would like to brag about?
2: Anything I would like to brag about? Oh, man. Um, Well, I am very proud of a student organization that I started at the Richwood Valley campus called The Helpers. And it is uh, to foster community service. That's all the group is about, is serving the community, uh, getting to know, of course, fellow club members, uh, we do things like food drives and uh, we have brought uh, the like the cute dogs, the campus for finals, right? That kind of thing. Uh, so anything that's community service uh, oriented. And that's I'm pretty proud of that. It's a good group of good group of students. Of course, because of the pandemic, we've not been able to meet. But I'm looking forward to the fall when we can get that going again.
1: Just for the puppies. Just for the puppies. Just for the, the puppies alone. alone. Yeah.
0: Yes. Uh, that is i cannot thank you enough for joining us thank you so much yeah dorothea dix and 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 her work in massachusetts yeah uh the insurrection that that took place in north carolina uh your helpers group jen yeah i didn't know that
1: i didn't know that now you do <laughs> thank you so much thanks guys